0: Hello and welcome to Coco Pods, a podcast of the Broad Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. My name is Dr. Bola Sagadi. I'm a women's healthcare specialist and we discuss all the issues relating to a woman's health and a woman's health in pregnancy. Today we are fortunate to have with us Dr. Lola Adekoya. Dr. Adekoya is a board-certified obstetrician gynecologist with a master's in public health, and she is currently a community health services medical director in the state of Virginia. You know, there's some talk out there that, you know, the vaccine can cause an increased risk of not being able to get pregnant, infertility. Do we know this as a fact or is this conclusion from other information? Does the vaccine affect fertility? I mean, do we have enough time to even make a statement on that question? I mean, enough, enough time for investigation.
1: So far, we've known that people who have had COVID-19 infection have been able to come see. And so, and as I said earlier, we've been able to administer vaccines the flu back that vaccine to women who are trying to conceive and all this information and all this data has shown us that the vaccine has been proven safe for the pregnant mother. As I said, we're always gathering information, we're always learning, but based on the trials that, that has been performed and all the safety trials that that's um, studied, the safety trials that was performed by Moderna, they haven't reported any severe outcomes or adverse effects on vaccinating pregnant women, so we feel safe, we feel confident that we can safely offer these vaccines to pregnant women, women trying to conceive, and women who also are
0: breastfeeding. And you know, so before we move on to the other topics, I just want to talk about this birth defect thing again. You know, historically, people have known about the Zika virus. They've known about the rubella and cytomegalovirus infections that they cause serious birth defects, and Researchers are just being cautiously optimistic that the same will not prove true with the coronavirus. Uh, some of these viruses are blood-borne, but the coronavirus is respiratory born Does that make it not such a serious causative agent for birth defects in pregnant women?
1: So the coronavirus infection itself, when you get infected... It's a respiratory virus affects your lungs, and in severe cases, um, cases of sepsis infection. So the secondary effect, I would call it, of the virus, when you're in that viremic period where there's decreased blood flow to the kidney, you have decreased blood flow to vital organ. The woman has fever, so fever by itself, where the pregnant woman has prolonged period of fever, we know that those could be pathogenic t- to the baby. So it's the infectious process. The body that is fighting, the body's mounting that such an immune response that could harm the baby, and especially when in those early stages. And as I said earlier, one of the adverse outcomes could be early delivery. So it's really the body trying to fight the infection, mounting the immune response. The mother has um, prolonged period of fever. The viremic process itself that could be harmful to the fetus. So in an effect. Uh, it depends on how sick the mother is. So, the mother is very, very, very sick, uh, prolonged fever, fever. We know that those could be harmful to a developing fetus. So, that's why I keep saying that prevention in this case is better to avoid getting the infection at all, uh, avoid the
0: COVID 19 infection, especially in pregnancy. Well, mm-hmm. Now, certain groups of women, including minority women, are very hesitant to take the vaccine. And some of the women had questions about, you know, and you probably alluded to this earlier like the, that COVID 19 is an emergency use authorized vaccination. Why is it that certain groups of women, especially minority women, are still very hesitant to take this vaccine?
1: I guess I, we just have to go back to the history of women of color and the community of color, they distrust with the government. We still have that ongoing distrust. Also, we know that I'm um, not are still in our memory of the Tuskegee study. So those are things that are of concern to a lot of community of color that, oh, can I trust the federal government in this? But in this case, I really do encourage people to do some more research and that in this development of these vaccines, we've had many people of color, women of color, have been had an integral part of the development of these vaccines. So they've been um, an integral part of the development of vaccines. We have lots of physicians of color who are going out, who are encouraging people of color to be vaccinated. And also physicians of color really say, hey, guess what? I've been vaccinated. And when I got vaccinated, I put it up on you know my social media. Guess what? I've been vaccinated just really to help people show that, hey, I haven't changed. It didn't affect my DNA. I'm still the same person. I didn't grow another head. Simple things like that. And then having various town halls, I'm just really educating and also trying to build trust. Trust is like something that has to be built with a lot of the minority communities and making sure that we're instilling trust in our clients, the patients that we serve, our community. So we need more of us going out there and really reassuring our community that this is safe. We are part of um, this study. We've been involved in this process. And when we really look at the data, more people of color are dying from this infection than anybody else. So I think we have to be data-driven with our decision-making and going back and looking at the data so that we can be informed, um, informing our leaders, uh, the leaders in our community, Uh, Interfaith leaders, church leaders, so that we can um, really encourage people. And then when you're looking for information to encourage people to please use credited sources, go to the CDC. Um, If you have a Department of Health in your state, I'm sure all the states have a local health department. The state of Georgia, you have your local health departments. In Virginia, the Virginia Department of Health has really worked hard to improve education and outreach to various communities the governor set up an equity task force to make sure that we're engaging the community not just hey take the vaccine but really having that one-on-one discussion having the town halls having that conversation that can build trust so we as community leaders we as leaders we really need to make that concerted effort of going out there engaging our community to build that trust, trust must be built. And um, to build trust takes time, it takes relationships, it takes buy-in and it takes engaging your community.
0: Basically what you're saying, because there has been, you know, like a worldwide attempt to quickly develop the vaccines very quickly. So should people be comforted in the fact that safety standards were not relaxed and no steps were skipped? in the development and evaluation of the COVID-19 vaccines? Because this is, you know, what people, and you talked about technology and advances, but can people be comforted in the fact that no safety standards were relaxed and no steps were skipped in the production of these vaccines?
1: Yes, that's an excellent question. And that's a question um, that we just need to keep, you know, making sure that we're engaging people and educating people that yes, with the advent of technology, uh, we were able to build vaccine rapidly because this actually, the development of the mRNA vaccine has been in production for the last 10 years. So it's almost, although it was rapid, but the technology has been built for the last 10 years. We've been working on this technology so coming up with the technology that has been in process allowed us to rapidly respond. And I mean, I just encourage people. I say, hey, these days you have your iPhone 12. I mean, you use it. I mean, that's technology. You have your electric cars. We're going to space. We're doing so much more that we could even contend with a year ago. We're learning virtually. We have virtual weddings. We're doing so much. We having virtual meetings. We're working from home, which is something that we couldn't have thought about a year or two ago, to have a whole team work from home. I work for the Virginia Department of Health. Many of our teams that have been part of this pandemic response have worked from home. Um, we've been more productive working from home, putting in you know, long hours. I mean, at the onset of the pandemic, most of my team, we were working from home 10, 12 hours per day working from home. So just taking a step back to think of what we've been able to accomplish, this really has been that's shut off modern-day technology,
0: which we're all embracing. Wow. So there are clinical trials going on. And with regards to monitoring safety and efficacy, you know, how strong are these clinical trials? Do they meet the same high standards and requirements as your typical vaccine approval process? And since a good number of minority people still have hesitancy about taking the vaccines, are they even enrolled in any of the clinical trials?
1: Yes, we have from CDC. That's right. We keep encouraging people, please make sure your, your sources of information is credible. One source of information that is credible is CDC. Um, CDC keeps putting out a statement that no, that the safety trials, there were no shortcuts. There was no, you know, trying to create a shortcut process um, for safety trials. And there's still ongoing trials and collected information about the vaccine. We have also noted that numbers nationwide. Once we said it the mass vaccination, the number of infections was going down. So there are benefits to being vaccinated. Um, so data is showing us that oh, our infection rate is going down, more people are being vaccinated. And then even if you do have the vaccine and you get exposed to the virus, outcomes are less severe. And if you've been vaccinated and you're exposed to somebody with COVID-19 infection, you don't have to quarantine for 14 days as long as you are acing. So all this data um, is telling us about the safety of the vaccines, the benefits of the vaccination. And I think many of us are tired of being at home, working from home. I think we want to get back to our new normal. And one way that we can get back to what we call a new normal or a way of life is really creating that herd immunity and making sure that you know enough of the community is vaccinated so just to uh, make sure i'm answering the questions and just really um you know, encouraging our leaders uh, our listeners that there's ongoing safety trials we're collecting information on the safety of the vaccine and there's no shortcut it's really been a high standard one of the highest rigorous safety trials was conducted on these vaccines. And despite what we have, we still have ongoing data collection on the outcomes of vaccination and also on any adverse outcomes on effect on people.
0: And is there a difference between the kind of protection you get from getting vaccinated, that is, vaccine induced antibody immunity? compared to the kind of protection you get after getting a natural infection with the COVID-19 virus in pregnancy? Yes. Well, I do not want my
1: pregnant women to be infected because we know that when you're infected with COVID-19 and you're pregnant, pregnancy itself presents a condition that your immune response is weakened. So when you're pregnant, you're immunocompromised. Let's just think about that for a moment your immune response is weakened by pregnancy, and then you get infected. Yes, you can mount an immune response and you can develop natural immunity, but my concern is the process. COVID-19 infection itself has severe outcomes in terms of could produce severe pneumonia, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, and also we you know that there's end organ damage as we're learning more about the disease, we know some women can mount an response and they have a mild infection. And other women have a severe outcomes. So the process of building a natural response could really be a challenge for pregnant women. So I would prefer my pregnant women to avoid getting infected and build the vaccine-induced immunity. Because with that, you avoid getting infected, you avoid the pneumonia, you avoid all sepsis or the infection that could come from having COVID-19, you avoid the fevers and all the severe outcomes that the infection itself confers on the body. So that is not the way to get immunity. So natural immunity, yes, you build up a natural immunity after you're infected, but some people just have a mild infection and some people have a severe infection and we've had a few deaths from pregnant women. Because of the adverse outcomes of COVID nineteen infection, so I would really
0: recommend getting your immunity from a vaccine and or avoid getting infected in the first place. Thank you. And so there's a uh, you know other viral infections that pregnant women could have, like what we call rubella and CMV, that is megalovirus infections. These are and Zika. These are commonly blood borne viruses. And the infections allow those viruses to reach the placenta during the first trimester before the placenta can fully form a barrier to viral invasion. So although the COVID virus does occasionally get into the blood, it is not basically a blood-borne infection. So does that mean that it might optimistically not cause infection to the baby as much as rubella and other viruses could cause?
1: So we're learning more every day about this mobile virus. So we know that, yes, it's a respiratory virus, Well, when uh, a woman is infected, she goes, her body develops an immune response in trying to fight this virus. So in the process, a woman could have severe pneumonia, she could have fever for a prolonged period of time, she could have sepsis, she could have kidney failure, So all those adverse outcomes could affect the fetus in the ability to grow. We haven't really seen those effects of the Zika where it affects the brain, but the baby gets nutrients from the mother. So if the mother immune system is really compromised, she has a fever of viremia, and she has a period of fever where she has a high fever, we know that the baby is now living in a very, very difficult, what would I call a toxic environment, where the baby is really in a high temperature. Those side, secondary side effects does affect the baby. For women who've had severe COVID-19 infection, there's a, been an increased risk for preterm birth. So a baby being born too early, being born a pre-vival stage or really having that second trimester loss and also second or early third trimester delivery. So one of the outcomes is really early delivery, which is prematurity. And so you can have very severe prematurity, which also has severe, you know, long term morbidity on the fetus.
0: Now there are some other vaccine effects monitoring program, especially for pregnant women. So we have the pregnancy exposure registry. We have the phone line one eight six six Moderna, one eight six six M O D E R N A. We also have the vaccine. Adverse e- Event Reporting System called VERSE, and then we have the CDC's National Healthcare Safety Network. So these are all the monitoring programs. So it looks like the pregnant women receiving the vaccines have so many ways to be monitored for vaccine effects.
1: Yes, yes. And it's an ongoing monitoring system and really being transparent to the provider, to the patient. It's an ongoing process. So I know that we are being cautious, but we also, there are no safety shortcuts. Uh, It's a very rigorous process, and the CDC is ensuring the safety of these vaccines. And at at Administration Site 2, where we do administer vaccines, we ensure safety of the vaccines. They're being stored at the appropriate temperatures, And so, really, it's a concerted effort at all levels to ensure safety of the vaccine, safe delivery, safe administration,
0: and safe storage of the vaccine. So, Dr. Adekoya, you are a physician OBGYN and you have a passion for helping your community. If you were to speak to a group of students, aspiring medical students or, you know, students that want to serve in a community health capacity, you know, just looking at your career path, what kind of advice would you give them?
1: I would always tell people, find something that you're passionate about. I mean, some people are passionate about teaching, educating young children. You can volunteer in a school, you could volunteer in an after school program. You can volunteer to be a mentor to young children to teach. If you're passionate about serving, you could work in a community health center and provide that health education. If you're passionate about education, you can you know, really be a mentor. So the first thing I tell people is like find something you're passionate about because if you have that passion, if you have that zeal for what you really enjoy doing, you're putting your best. Right now, there's a huge need for mentors, there are lots of children who are learning from home, a lot of parents who are struggling, so really just thinking of, okay, how can I get involved? Um, If I love to teach, I can enroll, find out some volunteer um, opportunities for me to volunteer. Um, If I want to be part of the pandemic response, there are various um, mass vaccination clinics going on, you can volunteer to enter data. If you're young and very good with technology, you can do that. You can be a greeter. I know that some young people can volunteer to make meals, deliver meals. I know young people don't like to cook, but you can deliver meals. Just finding out what you're passionate about. And if it just takes you serving one person, that makes a difference. So don't have to feel that, oh, I I don't have the skill set. Oh, I want to change the world in a big way. But just think of something that you're passionate about. How can I serve? How can I make a difference? In my community, you can start with your community, wherever you live, just think, how can I volunteer? So that's just one thing I would recommend to young people who are aspiring to be public servants, who are aspiring to go to medical school. Think of ways to serve so that, you know, you go into medicine because you have that passion to make a difference in somebody else's lives.
0: Wow. Dr. Adekoya, I have one more question for you, but before we get there, I just want to say that we are very fortunate to have Dr. Lola Adekoya here. She is a director of community health services. She's an obstetrician gynecologist, and this is a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation, Cocoa Pods, and we want you to direct all questions to info at bcfndfoundation.org, info at bcfndfoundation.org. Dr. Adekoya, if there are some closing remarks that you have to make to pregnant women and women that are breastfeeding regarding the COVID vaccination, what closing remarks would you like to tell them?
1: Closing remarks I would want you, first of all, to have a discussion with your OBGYN if you have doubts like, well, should I really get vaccinated? Is this for me? It's worthwhile to have that discussion with your gynecologist and obstetrician. And then finally, I'll go to the CDC website, do some reading, making sure that your source of information is credible. I know there's so much information on the web and people can easily get lost with so much information and conflicting information. So I would recommend your source of information should be your physician, a trusted leader, your OBGYN who's taking care of your pregnancy and who has been providing care to you during the, your duration of your pregnancy. If you have any concern, have that discussion with your OBGYN um, because I know right now there's just so much information, misinformation that is being spread around in the web. I do encourage women uh, to be informed, to be educated. Um, and to be empowered by listening to science-based, evidence-based information. And also, not to end up, please make sure you're following those simple, basic ABCs of public health. Wash your hands, six feet away from people you don't know, avoid crowded situations. And please do
0: anything, please put on your face mask when you're outside. Wow. Thank you, Dr. Lola Adekoya, for just the time spent educating us some more about COVID-19, COVID-19 vaccination, and how it relates to our special interest group of people, and that is pregnant women and breastfeeding women. Thank you very much for your time today.
1: You're welcome. Thank you. It was great um, spending the afternoon with you, Dr. Shagat.
0: Thank you.